0: importantly who God calls us to be because so many times as Baptists we want to do without being I mean one day a lady called the church office and told the secretary I resigned the church that I am no longer physically able to be a Baptist you know we'll we'll meet and eat and beat it you know with the best of them we're we always got something going on and we think we always got to be doing something but we need to realize who we are first before we go to work but God does commission his church to go to work. I want to thank there were over 40 people. Thank those who came last Sunday afternoon who went out into the community to pass out comfort food. As we talked about last Sunday that we are God's comforters, uh, people went out into this community to pass out soup and it was a great outreach and a great opportunity and we'll talk more about about that and what's to come. But we're we're able to go and do because of who we are in Christ. And it's, it's great to be a part of what God is doing in the community to celebrate what God has done in us. You know, Again, we can go into a broken world because we know what it means to be broken. We know what it means to hurt. And we're able to do this, we're able to comfort others because we have comfort that God has given to us as we have been broken. And so we're able to take that to other people. Again, we said last week that brokenness is the crack that God uses to pour His grace into our lives. And it's our cracks that allow God's grace out so others can be comforted. Again, we can even glory in our cracks. We can even glory in our brokenness because God has healed us, and God is using that to bring glory to Himself. So what a privilege to be a part of this. And again, I want to remind you this morning, as we talk about brokenness, that there are a thousand ways to be broken, but there's only one way to be healed. There's only one way, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. So there, that's why our mission is so important. That's why it's so important. There are two amazing things about this mission. First of all, in order to be a part of this mission, is that we have to admit our own brokenness, and we have to have personally experienced God's grace of healing in our life. Now think about that for just a minute. We have to have personally experienced God's healing in our life. We've had to admit our own brokenness. We've had to admit our own need. And then as we have come to Christ and He is helping us or enabling us and has indeed put our life back together, then we go into the world as God's comforters. We comfort others with the comfort that God has given us. Then the, that, That's an amazing thing. We have to speak from personal experience. And there's not a person in this room today who has not experienced some type of brokenness. Now, there may be some here today who have not had their brokenness healed by Christ yet, but that's our desire. So it's amazing. We we speak from experience. The second amazing thing, and this to me is the most awesome of all, is that God allows us to participate in His plan to heal the world. Isn't that neat? That God would allow us You know, God said if we don't praise Him, if we don't sing His praises, that the rocks will cry out. The trees would declare. let me tell you, church, the rocks would probably be more faithful. And the trees would probably do a better job. But God allows us as former broken people, as people who continue to be broken, but yet who've been healed by Christ, He allows us to be a part of His plan to heal the world. Let's look at another part of that plan. We talked about being God's comforters last week. Let's talk this morning about being God's fragrance. Chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many, peddling the word of God. But as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ, in the sight of God. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we come, Father, with hungry hearts. God, we pray that You would open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from Your Word. We pray, God, that You would incline our hearts, Lord, to hear what You are saying, that we might hear truth from the Almighty God. Father, we pray that You would unite our hearts to fear You, to fear who You are. Lord, a heart that is united in one purpose, and that is to love You, to serve You, and Lord, indeed, to keep Your commandments. And God, we pray this morning that you would satisfy us from your word. For man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So God, we ask you to speak to us this morning. Change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll talk this morning about being his fragrance. What exactly does that mean? This this passage can be hard to understand if we don't have an understanding of what Paul's talking about when he's talking about being led in triumph. And we'll, we'll explain that more in just a minute, but there's one, one truth here that is very clear and it's very powerful as we begin. Paul states of our position in verse 14, Christ, that God always leads us in triumph in Christ. To be the fragrance of God, first of all, we have to be firmly positioned in Christ. Now this is so personal to me because for 18 years of my life I felt like I was around Christ. I knew about Christ. You know, I started going to church nine months before I was born. You know, being a pew, I've always felt right at home in the church. And there's a big difference from being around Christ and being in Christ. You know, I'd heard the gospel many times. I went to vacation Bible school. I went to Sunday school. I even went to sunbeams. How many of you know what a sunbeam is? I was a sunbeam. I can't remember now when we met, but I did it all. And I was as lost as a ball in high weeds. I didn't know Christ. I was a good guy because I was not in Christ. Then as a freshman at the University of Alabama, Bryant Hall, room 301, I was going over a scripture memory verse one night. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I said, boy, that's what I need. I'd never done drugs. I didn't have premarital sex. I'd never been a really bad guy. But I'd done some things I knew were wrong. And the old things could be passed away. I could become a new creature, have a new beginning, a new creation on one condition. That was to be in Christ. To be in Christ. So I got down on my knees and Brian Hall asked Jesus to come into my life, to change my life. I trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And that night, I can tell you with all truth that that's the night I was in Christ. And just as importantly, Christ came into my life. And that's the miracle of what Paul is talking about. Not only are we in Christ, but Christ is in us. And for us to be a fragrance to the world of Christ, we have to be in Christ. See, it's in Christ that we experience all the privileges of our faith, all the privileges, all the blessings that God has for us. I want to just give you a quick highlight from Ephesians chapter 1. And these verses will be on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, in Christ. Verse 7 of chapter 1, In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. There's no other way to be forgiven except through the blood of Christ. He forgives us. He redeemed us through His blood. Verse 10, in Him also we have obtained an inheritance. All that we have to look look forward to spiritually. Heaven. But let me tell you, the Christian life is so much more than just going to heaven. It's experiencing all the blessings and inheritance that God gives to us right now. And all of that's available to us when we are in Christ. Our little two-year-old daughter, Karis, comes up to my plate often and she says, I want some of that. I want some of that. <laughs> Doesn't she? If I'm reading this and you're not a Christian today, you ought to be saying, I want some of that. I want some of that. And it's available to you in Christ. In Him, verse 13, You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him. With the Holy Spirit of promise. And this is what I mentioned a while ago. Not only is, are we in Christ, but Christ is in us. Look up at chapter 1. You can turn there. Chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, verse 21. 1 Corinthians 1, 21. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. It's God who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. He gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. He sealed us. What God is saying, in essence, is that one's mine, that one's mine. You've probably heard that old story the big plate of fried chicken set down the football players' team, you know, at a, the team table, the training table. And one old guy, he, as soon as the chicken put there, he said, That one's mine, that one's mine, that one's mine. And all the guys, ew. One old guy said, "You can have it, you can have it, you can have it." But anyway, <laughs> God God seals us. When He puts his spirit in us, it's saying, "That was mine. That one's mine." And see, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is not the fact that we simply suit up and show up every Sunday, but that Jesus dwells in us. The Spirit of Christ. we are in Him, and Christ is in us. He has sealed us with His spirit so God always leads us in triumph, Paul says, back to chapter 2, verse 14. In the Lord Jesus Christ, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. In Christ, that is the ultimate triumph of life. Why? Because we have eternal life. We have the peace of God. But more importantly, we have the presence of God in our life, wherever we go, whatever happens. But I want you to know, as Paul talks about this triumph, let me kind of explain to you just from history, what, what he had in mind. He was speaking of a Roman triumph. Now, we can't relate to this today, but after a big battle, a conquering general would return to Rome. And I'll just read what William Barclay says. In a Roman triumph, the procession of the victorious general marched through the streets of Rome to the capital. First came the state officials in the Senate. All the big bigwigs had to be up front from the Senate. Then came the trumpeters in this parade. The trumpeters came. Then came the spoils that had been captured in battle, all the cattle, all the jewelry, all the women, all the stuff that they had captured from their enemy. They were paraded in front of the Romans as they celebrated this victory. And then came the, the spoils. Then the parade would, ca- would par- they'd have the captive princes, the leaders from the enemy's army that had been captured. They would come in chains. And they, as they walked in this parade, knew they were walking to their death. They would soon be executed, either by sword or thrown to wild animals. So as the captured leaders of the enemy were walking in this triumph, everybody celebrating but them. They're saying, this is not good. This is not good. They knew they were going to be executed within just a matter of minutes. And then then in the parade came the musicians playing songs of triumph, followed by the Roman priests with their censers. They were burning this incense. They were big on incense. They would walk down the streets burning this incense. So this smell permeated the air. As we heard the trumpets playing, as these people were proceeding by, there was this smell from these censers that the priests were, were burning as they walked in this Roman triumph. And then came the general. He's standing in a chariot pulled by four horses. He is the conquering general. And following the general was a victorious army. And they were still celebrating. They had just achieved a great victory as they followed the general into battle. Now they're following the general in this triumph, in celebration. The army always followed the general. So Paul says this. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph, in Christ. But let me tell you, church. Well, if you're in the church, you're in Christ. But let me tell you, if you're here today and you're not in Christ, this victory is not yours yet. This aroma that Paul speaks of will remind you of something different, as we'll see in just a moment. But as his soldiers, we bear his name. We wear his uniform. We are clothed in his righteousness, no longer our own. He who knew, who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus takes our sin. We take His righteousness. That's how we stand before a holy God. We're a part of His army. We're part of His victory. We serve in His army. We're ambassadors. We follow His commands. But we have to realize who we are in Christ. <coughs> we have to remain focused on our position in Christ, realizing by faith... <coughs> And we are firmly positioned, firmly planted in him. And what, what did Jesus say about being in his hand? Do you remember? He said, no one can snatch them away. No one can snatch them away. And he said, well, preacher, do you believe once saved, always saved? I said, no. I don't believe once saved, always saved. I believe if you're saved, you're always saved. And there's a big difference. No one can snatch you away. From Jesus' hand. We are in Christ. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Christ has already said, as Brother Colby reminded us, we have an unstoppable, unfailable mission that will be accomplished as we are in His army. But the important thing is we are in Christ. Number two, we are firmly positioned in Christ. Number two, we are a fragrance of the person of Christ. This is what our message is all about. Look at verse 14. He manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Now, I love Alberta Baptist Church, but it's not about Alberta Baptist Church. Somebody asked me one time, Keith, if you weren't a Baptist, what would you be? I said, I'd be wrong. But anyway, I love being a Baptist. But it's not about the Baptist faith. It's not about the Baptist Church. It's not about anything other than Christ. As we go into the community, we want to be God's comforters. And we want to be an aroma, a sweet-smelling aroma of the knowledge of Jesus. When we come into a home, when we go into a home, when we, as we said last week, we give up, we go to, to be with, we're not bringing anything other than Christ. We want people to know. And that's why we are a fragrance of the person of Christ. He manifests through us a sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place every place this is who we are we're a sweet aroma of jesus in every place we go when we go people ought to say you know there's something different about that guy there's something different about that girl again we've already said it's the presence of christ in us but it's a sweet aroma there's an air there's something different that about us because we are in christ it's an aroma that points people to jesus But let me remind you this, as the Roman priests burned the incense in that parade, that incense affected people in different ways, didn't it? For the Roman soldiers, they're high-fiving and celebrating because we just had a big victory. And that aroma meant the aroma of victory. As Paul says here, it was the aroma of life to life for the Christian. But Paul says for the unbeliever, our very presence is an aroma of death to death. That's pretty strong, isn't it? I mean, we don't, you know, we said we don't want to be a, you know, killjoy. We don't want everybody to kick us out of parties and stuff, but we live out the gospel. By the way we live our life, people see Christ in us. And when people see Christ and they come to understand the gospel, they understand that there is a day of accounting, that there is a truth. This is a matter of life and death. It's as simple as John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will, have eternal life. will not perish, but have eternal life. And so this aroma that Paul talks about here, he says, for your fragrance of Christ, those who are being saved and those who are perishing, to one an aroma from death to death. See, the Scripture teaches us that apart from Christ that we are already dead spiritually. Ephesians 2, for you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Were we alive physically? Yeah, we could do all kinds of things. We could suit up and show up and go to church all the time. But spiritually, we were dead. Because we'd never been born again. And so, from death to death, the Ephesians 2, being dead in our sin, the gospel reminds us that we're all dead in sin until we come to Christ. And if we don't trust Christ, Revelation 20, the writer John talks about a second death. And so, the presence of Christ reminds the lost person that there is only the certain expectation of punishment. Christ came into the world not to judge the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's the good news. You know, so we realize as we go, certainly there is the message of judgment, but Christ didn't come to condemn the world. The world is already condemned because of, the, of sin. But Christ came to save the world. So to those who do not believe, it's a fragrance of death. The reminder, as I said, of a certain expectation of eternal punishment. But we are His fragrance when others see the life of Christ in us. To some, an aroma of life to life. So how do we do that? How do we we bring about the aroma of Christ in our life in any situation? Let me just throw out a few things. First of all, it's very obvious, we're his fragrance when others can see that there's something different about us. We are his fragrance when we extend love to the unlovely, just as he has loved us. When we love, I used to call them the unlovable, but you know nobody's unlovable. Some people only God can love or a mother can love, but we've got to realize that God calls us to love those who are hard to love. We're His fragrance when we extend His love. We are His fragrance when we offer forgiveness to others, just as He has forgiven us. And I'll say this many times in the course of the years. and You'll probably get tired of hearing this. But the hardest thing, the hardest thing God asks us to do is to forgive. Hey, we can write a check. We can go. We can give up. But when it comes to forgiveness, that's where a lot of people dig their heels in. But we are the fragrance of Christ when we forgive others. And why do we forgive others? Because Christ has forgiven us. He has forgiven us. We're His fragrance when we are growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. The more we know about Jesus, the more we grow in Christ, the more other people are going to see Christ in us. We are His fragrance as we give up, go to, and be with the hurting, just as Jesus has done the same for us. We are His fragrance as we participate in His unstoppable mission to be His witness around the world. Christ makes Himself known to the world through His church. See, the Gospel is is an aroma of life to life for some and death to death for others. Because, see, the Gospel is a matter of life and death. We are His fragrance only when we are positioned in Christ. When we are when we are making known the person of Christ. And number three, when we are filled with the power of Christ. and this, this comes here, we see this in um, verse 16. Paul just asks a simple question right in the middle of this great word picture. He says in verse 16, Who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate for these things? Then he answers that question in chapter 3, verse 5. Paul says there, Not that we are adequate in ourselves, to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. I love the King James. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves. Sufficient. as to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. What's he saying there? We can only do this, as Brother Colby reminded us a couple weeks ago, through the power of Christ. Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Then you will be my witnesses. Church, don't think that this is something we can do because we got great programs. Or don't think this is something to do because we got the best people in all the town, all the city right here in this church. It's not about us. But it's all about what God wants to do. First of all, in us and then through us. Jesus reminds us in John 15 all that we can accomplish apart from him. You remember what he said? John 15, 5. He said, I am divine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. But apart from me, say it with me, you can do nothing. Nothing. We can't be a fragrance. We can't be a comforter. Anything apart from the presence of Christ. Again, that's why it's so important to be in Christ. That's the starting point. But to be empowered By Christ, what does that power look like? I I, I got on this thing. God's grace. We talk. We see so much in Scripture about God's grace. You know, God's riches at Christ's expense, unmerited favor. But I began to see as I studied Scripture that grace is power. Grace is power. Look at Titus chapter two verse eleven. First of all, it's a power for salvation. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Then the word instructing are disciplining us. God's grace disciplines us, instructing us to deny ungodliness. This is how we deny ungodliness, by God's grace and worldly desires. How do we live sensibly? By His grace, righteously and godly in the present age. It's all by the grace of God. God's grace in our life, God's power in our life. 2 Timothy 2, 2, Paul says, Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So anytime you see the word grace, we're saved by grace, God's power. But it's God's grace that enables us to go into this community, to go on campus, and for some of us to go home and be the fragrance of Christ. It's by God's grace. God has been gracious to us. We want to be gracious to others. His grace is the power to save and to serve. We must be filled with the power of Christ. You know, when we look at what God calls us to do as a result of who God calls us to be, it can be very overwhelming. You can say, I I, I feel I could never do that. You can't. But God in you, God through you. The Scripture said in the Old Testament, God's God's eyes go to and fro all across the earth, looking for one man whose heart is whole toward him, so that he can prove himself strong through that one man. You know, I, I want to be, as God's looking across Alberta, I want to say, here I am, God. I want to be one man whose heart is holy, totally surrendered to you, and so that God's power in me can accomplish His purposes. And that's as we surrender to the Lord. So, what do we see? That we're filled with the power of Christ. And finally, to be His fragrance, we are faithful to the precepts of Christ. I was asking John David, our seven-year-old grandson yesterday, I said John David, you know what precepts are? And he said, No. I said, okay. Maybe a lot of people this is simply the commandments of God, the word of God, the teachings of Christ. That's why Paul says in verse 17, we're not we're not like many, peddling the word of God. But as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. We speak in Christ in the sight of God. What's he saying? That we want to speak the truth of God. And God is our audience. We do not compromise the the Word of God. How do we do that? Three things will be done. First of all, we refuse to use worldly methods. We refuse to use worldly methods. We realize that God's work is going to be done God's way. And church, it begins with prayer. We've talked a lot about, about a lot of things, and we'll continue to talk, but I want you to know, That what God calls us to do and who God calls us to be begins in prayer, unleashing God's power on this ministry. And I mention that because I know in our congregation, we have some people who are physically unable to go and pass out soup cans. You're physically unable to do a lot of things that the church is going to be a part of. But let me tell you right now, you can be a part of the greatest, the greatest power the most important piece of the puzzle, as you are a prayer warrior, as you pray for your church, as you pray for this ministry, as you pray for God's Word to be spread in this community, as you pray that the name of Jesus would be made known, would be made great on our campus and in this community. You are prayer warriors. And let me tell you this, when we lose men like George Dockery and J.B. Davis, there's some big shoes to be filled in our church. And we need men and women who are going to step up as our prayer warriors. Because everything we do, it needs to be bathed in prayer. And if you're physically unable to go and do, you can do so much. Jesus said greater things than I do that you will do. And I believe that's through the power of prayer. So we want to use, we're faithful to the precepts of Christ. We don't use worldly methods. We rely on the prayers. We refuse to dilute the message. You know, we don't, Try to reconcile the world. I mean, excuse me, we don't try to reconcile God to the world. There are a lot of people today who are spending so much time and energy trying to make God relevant. You know, trying to reconcile God to the world. No, God's always God. The key is to reconcile the world to God. That's what the gospel is all about. We don't have to make God relevant. He is always relevant. So we don't do that. We refuse to use worldly methods. We, do, we live a Christ-centered life. Then the second, the B part there, we refuse to dilute the message. As I said, we proclaim the Word of God. We dilute the message when we try to make the gospel more acceptable. We dilute the message when we say, you know, we need need some decisions. We need numbers. Don't worry about repentance. Don't worry about the Lordship of Christ. You just check that card, pray this prayer, and everything's going to be fine. Paul said, we're not going to be peddling the Word of God like that. We want to preach the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus never changes the standard for following him. Deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. That's the message. That's the gospel. And then we refuse to dilute the message. We refuse to seek the praise of men. Again, I know our church is going to grow. I'm convinced that as the gospel is shared, people are going to come and lives are going to be changed. That's what it's all about. We count people because every person counts. I want you to remember that. We count people because every person counts. Every person represents a changed life. But our goal is not to please the world. Our goal is to please God. Look at that in verse 17. It says, we're not like many, peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. God is our audience. You know, it may just be a small crowd. It may just be a few be few in number. But if God is pleased, then that's that's what it's all about. We we speak in the sight of God. But church, I've learned that God blesses his word. God blesses the work when it's done his way. When we are Christ's comforters, when we are his fragrance. His name is going to be made made great in this community. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. As a close, let me remind you again, there are a thousand ways to be broken, but only one way to be healed, and that's through Jesus Christ. And the world needs to know and experience the aroma, the sweet-smelling aroma, the fragrance of Christ through His people this week. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You that you have allowed us to be a part of this great work. Father, we thank you that you've done this great work, first of all, in our hearts. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that could not with full assurance say that I am in Christ and that Christ is in me, I pray that today would be the day that they would repent of their sin, recognizing that the wages of sin is death, recognizing that the soul that sins shall surely die, but also believing the gospel That Christ died that death for me. He took my sin upon Himself on that cross. And now as He has taken my sin, He gives me His righteousness. And that there's no other way to be righteous and acceptable before God except through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that that message would be heard powerfully and clearly today. And God, that You would change hearts that need to be changed today. We pray, Father, for us as Your believers, as Your children. And Lord, we would be the aroma of Christ as we leave this week. That that other people can see Christ in us everywhere we go. Lord, thank you for the victory that you lead us into, the triumph, that you've conquered death, you've conquered sin. And we are following you, focused on who you are. Lord, make your name great in this place, in this community, Father, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.